Hi there, my name is Corey Johnston. And I'm Michelle Maunder. And you are listening to Spirited Conversations, engaging and elevating pediatric occupational therapists. A joint collaboration between SEED Pediatric Services and Developmental FX. Each week you'll hear from myself and Michelle as we nerd out with Tracy Stackhouse. Just a note before we start, Spirited Conversations is for informational purposes only. We're not intending to be a substitute for professional medical advice or therapeutic intervention. We urge you to seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professionals with any questions you have regarding specific medical conditions. With that, let's jump in to today's episode. Hello, welcome. It's episode two. Hi, Tracy. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys down there? Yeah, good. You, Michelle? <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to go. Ready to go. Started. I am too. <laughs> so today I have brought a composite case um, that I think will be really, really helpful for everybody, um, particularly because at the end of our last episode, we were talking about, we were sort of alluding to postural functions and... I assessed this little kiddo not that long ago and I was like, you're perfect. <laughs> um, so this is a little 12 year old boy and he, he came in to the clinic to get assessed mostly actually for handwriting challenges. So really having difficulty with legibility, not able to get his ideas out onto paper. Um, and they basically wanted supports for school and to know how they could help him show up, show his best academic potential, I guess. Um, and so in the clinic, I did the three BERI, so the VMI, the visual perceptual um, test and the motor coordination test. Um, I also did the handwriting print tool, which is from um, the handwriting without uh, handwriting without tears yep. program. And I also did the handwriting speed test. And then just because I think it's so helpful to know about the postural system when you're assessing handwriting, I also did um, the comps with a few extra. So the comps is the clinical observation of motor and postural skills. Um, and I added in a few extra clinical observations that aren't formally on that on that assessment, but that I think are really helpful for me. So I know that Tracy, I've been to your lectures and you've got really great postural models um, mm -hmm. that I think might help us with talking about this kiddo. So um, should we chat That's, about that? Yeah, let's jump into talking about that. So I think in the show notes, we'll go ahead and um, pop up one of the visuals that I find really useful and often use um, both in training, but even in my own clinical work. And what I find helpful in clinical reasoning um, is to have some visual models so that when you're, mm. when you're doing an assessment, when you're treating a child, when you're consulting, when you're just trying to think it through, that um, you, you can kind of pause and reflect and organize your thoughts. And so visual tools are super helpful to that end. And I think throughout this series, all of the different episodes, we'll be sharing different um, visual tools like this because they're really helpful. And especially in a podcast forum, because um, we need to be able to you know, kind of see what we're talking about sometimes. And because this is a, an auditory mechanism, we're going to just <laughs> kind of have that visual. So I think it's going to anchor us a little bit. Um, so, so one of the visuals is just this kind of flow chart and it comes to us from the combined, uh, models that are that are really around just core development mm. and um they're drawn the model is drawn from an ndt and neurodevelopmental treatment perspective but it's also integrated from a sensory integrative perspective um and those two interventions are are core to what we do in pediatric ot anyway and they're really going to underpin those assessments that you did Corey. so when you were testing this little guy um, what's interesting is that the tests themselves are kind of measuring either like speed of handwriting or they're, they're measuring like a visual motor integration skill or capacity. But all of those things are related 
to underlying sensory motor functions. Mm. And we don't always have tests for all those sensory motor functions. So where clinical reasoning is really critical is in, is helping you to interpret test data, helping you to interpret observation data, and then interpret that in a way that leads you to the clarity that you need for a really concise and obvious treatment plan and also for for guiding teachers and school teams and parents. So this this gap between data, the data of the testing and the clinical treatment plan, it's really fascinating how there's always that gap. And I'm just noticing, thinking about it, that what you are measuring is the output. And Mm -hmm. so what we're going to talk about is the inputs, I guess. Is that what you're saying, Tracy? Like the underlying um, inputs that allow or facilitate or restrict him to handwrite, which is the output. Absolutely. That's Mm. a great way to think about it. And really, if you think about sensory integration as the organization of sensation for use, that's exactly what we're talking about. So on some level, Dr. Ayers always wins and, <laughs> and she always kind of has like the, the framework that allows us to dive to that level of zooming into the input, the mm-hmm. what is going on in the underlying performance components. And then what, how is that restricting that output in the daily life and daily function and daily occupation? Mm. So here we are talking about the joy and a, purity and beauty of our profession, really. And it's the piece that people don't always um, understand, but I think when we get to it, it's so juicy and so amazing. So yeah, so in this visual model that we're referring to, the concept is to sort of look at the sensory postural triad. And sometimes we call that now a sensory postural quadrad. We'll get into talking about why. (laughs) New. Um, But, you know, the, in the classic neurosciences, there's this relationship between visual vestibular and proprioceptive processing. And those are the cornerstones in addition to that auditory partner, the quadrad. Um, but those are the cornerstones of postural adaptation. And, and so as you go to do an assessment and you notice that this little person or this not little person, but 12 year old was struggling with fine motor control, but then there were probably some really interesting findings throughout the postural system. Yeah. And you looked at clinical observations, um, that included, you know, balance and reflex integration and um, anti-gravity control. So, so tell us a little bit more about, about those findings. And then we'll kind of use this visual to, to start to organize our thoughts around that. Okay. That sounds good. Um, So even in, like, I can, I will definitely talk about his performance in the clinical observations um, in each of those tasks, but even in the um, Beery, um, while he was copying the shapes or doing the fine motor control, there was a lot of um, shifting of body weight. So um, anytime he had to sort of draw, so he was using his right hand and anytime he had to draw on the left side of the paper, he would shift his whole body over to the side to mm-hmm. draw the shape or he would turn. And I think and so I immediately am thinking about his midline and how organized he is in mm-hmm. that space and whether he's, you know, efficiently able to cross his midline without any trouble. Um, but the fascinating thing as well was he asked me, do I have to hold it, the paper with my other hand? So that was really, really funny because I was like, oh, you don't have to, you know, what do, it if, yeah, do it. Yeah, like do it if you want to. Um, <laughs> um, so something that should be super automatic. Um, he's obviously been taught to do or has like, you know, knows that that's something he should do, but he was kind of propping himself up with that arm. So mm-hmm. he, he was like, do I have to hold the page with the, with my other hand? Because <laughs> I really want to hold myself yeah, up. <laughs> yes. And it, 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 that was so funny to me. And, um, I just said, well, you know, what, whatever works for you. Um, and so that was very interesting, um, just in that observation itself. So then, when I came to do the handwriting speed test, um, there was a lot of postural fatigue. So what I'm, what I'm meaning by that is resting my head, like, so holding my head up with my arm, um, mm-hmm. and shaking. So stopping to, stopping 
what I'm doing, even though it's a timed test, like it's a three minute test, right? As many, as many words as you can, um, as neatly as you can. And he's stopping and he's sort of like shaking his hand out and then he's leaning on his head. And, um, so it didn't seem as though there was an urgency, um, mm-hmm. to what he was doing. And then if I looked at what he was writing, as he went through the test and fatigued, the legibility just went way down. He just got more and more mm-hmm. tired and everything just kind of went out the window. So his um, accuracy went out the window. Yeah. Did the size get bigger? Yep, size got bigger, size got bigger. Even spacing between yep. words, like there was it was hard sometimes to see where he'd ended one word and started the next. Mm-hmm. And that that test isn't necessarily about legibility. It's just purely about speed. Um, but it gave me a good indication, like, you know, if you're struggling with three minutes of writing, it's going to look, I'm sure, pretty terrible if you have to do a whole writing task at school. Um, absolutely. And yeah. absolutely. And assessment task. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. So any test where he's got to – He's going to have to write a par- like a s- decent amount of writing is going to be, I'm sure, really fatiguing. And then potentially he's not going to be able to get the marks because you can't read what he's writing. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so when you, when you think about, you know, handwriting drifting and, and sort of, um, you know, the struggle that happens pretty quickly. Mm. Um, and then you also noticed background postural difficulties right away uh it is going to be really critical for this per- this little one to to really have those postural functions better understood and really addressed uh directly in intervention because you aren't going to really be able to build enough uh, strength and enough sort of work tolerance um, and enough skillfulness to sustain beyond a few minutes without the background postural system being able to automatically subserve the control and stability function and just maintain that for long periods of time. Mm. So by the time a a child is 12 years old, we would really expect that they would um, have an ability to write for, you know, long periods of time, 30, 40 minutes without a super amount of fatigue. And so this person is just really like at about 10% of what you would expect in terms of that fatigue quality. Yeah. And, and so we want to really back up and understand what's happening in that postural system. And you mentioned a couple of things about how, um, you know, midline orientation, crossing the midline are, are, were obvious. And sometimes those really big, uh, or uh, the, the functions that are at the higher end of this visual chart that we're going to refer to, they're often really glaring and obvious to see. So you'll see that on the left hand side of the chart, midline stability is kind of hanging out up at the top and it's a pretty obvious skill. So when kids are struggling with midline function, it's not obvious to maybe everybody, but for occupational therapists, I think in particular, we're pretty tuned into looking for that and we see it and it, it becomes fairly obvious. And equilibrium. Oh, sorry. And it's fascinating to me that in the task, like Sounds like not many minutes that he was doing it. Yeah. He was all already looking for strategies to accommodate for that. So whether he'd sat at the desk for 10 minutes only and was about to do a three minute task, he was, he was working it. He was like, Oh, can I put my hand here because mm. I'm already exhausted? Mm. And you know, so. Before you even start. Before he even started, yeah. but he's got some strategies to work around it. Um, he's, uh, postural stability um, and midline challenges, I guess. Yeah, and I, I think as well, you know, there's, like you said, before you even start, you can almost get a sense of what their postural system looks like by the way that they sit in mm-hmm. the chair and um, just, I guess, the effort, the effort that you can see them putting into the task. Um, and sometimes you'll, I can't 100% remember, but sometimes you'll see that mouth kind of like tongue sticking out and jaw opening and all of that sort of stuff to try and help me get my hands to work and to do this activity. And then you just think, wow, how hard it would be for you being 12 in class and then working all day. And you can't even sit here and do these 
not super difficult activities for 10 minutes and you're really and he's eager hard. to comply. Yeah. So he's kind of trying to yeah. do his best, but it's like, oh, I just need to put my hand here. Yeah, so he's, and so yeah. sweet around, can I, do I have to put my hand there? Like, you know, asking, like. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And that was, how, how wonderful, because we know that that isn't necessarily <laughs> the way that every child copes is, mm. you know, through being very sweet and, and cooperative. Um, and especially when basic things like anti-gravity control, finding my stability upright against gravity and being able to maintain that for a long period of time, when that's really hard for you and fatigue comes over you, it, it's quite common for kids like that to start to feel a little bit low and slow mm. about the world, about their own selves, mm. about relationships sometimes. Um, and so the fact that this, you know, this 12 year old is really finding a robust kind of empathy and, and kindness, self-compassion, you know, kind of kindness to himself. That's really cool. And I love that so much, <laughs> but it doesn't help him at all in terms of his postural control. So when we think about, you know, midline issues, and then you start to look underneath that, tell us a little bit about what you, you know, you, you, you talked about how he was kind of tipping off of midline, not finding alignment in his midline. And sometimes we call that vertical writing. It's this kind of upright middle uh, anti-gravity control position. Mm -hmm. And, and he, kind of slumps over and leans and and so sometimes kids do that because of low muscle tone sometimes they do that because their their sense of their midline their their somatosensory and vestibular sense of their midline is off sometimes they do it because um of just fatigue and and endurance issues and 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 strength and that can be related to the first one I listed, the muscle tone issue. Mm. But then they sometimes also do it because um, every time that you start to move off of your midline, it pulls for basic sensory motor patterns. And sometimes what happens is that you are stronger in a way if you use a fixing in a pattern instead of just having the ease and fluidity of just maintaining the upright posture. Um, and so there can be all kinds of things lurking underneath the description you've given us so far. And I'm really curious to hear more about some of the assessments, the the clinical observations you did and, and kind of what that'll help us to understand in terms of these pieces that are lower down yeah. in this visual chart. Yeah, sure. Um, so I did, I did the standard prone extension. Um, I could, I, I might list out what I did and then I can go through some of the observations for you. So I did the prone extension. I did supine flexion. I did rapid forearm rotations. I did finger nose touching. Um, and the one where you have one hand out in front and then mm -hmm. your finger coming from your nose to your hand in front of your face. Mm -hmm. Um, I did ATNR. I did, um, there's one other in the comps that I did. Oh, the slow, slow movements. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I also did some extra. So I just did the standard standing on one leg, um, ocular tracking. So smooth pursuits and saccadic eye movements. Um, I did a tonic lab test. And I think I did a few others, but any movement? Like I'm interested in how um, he moves. So catching a ball, kicking a ball. I didn't do any catching or kicking a ball. I did some rolling, mm. um, but I think other than that, I I didn't do a whole mm. ton of movement. I just no. did the standard um, clean ups. But it struck me that, um, well, one of the biggest obvious issues, obvious issues that I saw, um, that I was like, wow, like that's really not pulled together for a 12 year old was his, his ocular tracking. Um, I mean, his prone extension and superinflection were really poor quality in that when he lay on his stomach and tried to lift up, he, he just, he found it really hard. He found it really hard to get his legs, his chest, his head and arms off the ground. Um, he couldn't sustain it. Um, mm -hmm. And he said, wow, that was really hard after he'd done it. <laughs> um, and I was like, yeah, I can see that's really tricky for you. Um, and then the same on his back when he went up into that supine flexion, 
it he first of all didn't couldn't even do it as one movement so he had to sort of lift his legs and then his arm and then his like he couldn't just do it all as one and then his quality of chin tuck and actual flexion was not very it wasn't really great so he didn't look super flexed in that position and I asked him which one was harder which 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 one was more difficult and he said the prone extension was he said that was really hard I said, okay no worries mm-hmm. <laughs> um and curious when I I tested his tracking, so just purely smooth pursuits in the horizontal plane. He had some massive jumps, like really big jumps of his eyes away from the object that he was tracking at um, midline. Mm-hmm. And um, I hadn't seen that for a while. Like I, you know, I see I've usually will see some flickering or some oh, what happened there? And I lost the target, and then I brought my eyes back on. But he really his eyes really jumped away from the target. And then I, I asked him, I said, oh, is how do you go with reading? Like, do you ever feel like you skip words or um, you miss things? He's like, oh, yeah, my, I have to reread the same thing a lot of times sometimes to really actually mm-hmm. read it properly. And um, it didn't surprise me at all. Same with the psychotic eye movement. He would overshoot the mark. Um, he he was he frowned and squinted and his eyes were watering like he was really working, working hard. hard yeah and I said oh this is really hard um we won't do too many more um because I know that I don't like doing that test because I find that a little you know sometimes a little hard for myself so I really feel for kids when they when they're working so hard at it and I just know how uncomfortable it can feel. Oh, and everything was working really hard. It sounded like you didn't land on anything or that you're describing that came easy. So it's this cumulative effect of, oh, what are you doing? Yeah, right. (laughs) I I did really feel for him because I was like, you are working really hard for me right now. (laughs) I appreciate how hard you're working and you're not putting up a fight, right? So um, the other fascinating thing was when I did his tonic labyrinthine reflex tests where I had him stand with his feet together and his hands beside him beside his side and tipped and got him to close his eyes and just slowly tipped his head back in space and just asked him to hold that position he looked really really uncomfortable so his eyes started fluttering he was swallowing his cheeks got flushed and I thought he was going to fall over so I I sort of I grabbed onto him so he didn't fall and he flinched like really badly. Like a startle. Yeah, like a a really big startle. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I thought you were going to fall so I just sort of wanted to catch you so you didn't fall over. Um, But, yeah, so he – I guess I came away thinking even potentially like a tactile processing issue. I mean, I don't know if that was – that if that's there as well or if that was just I got a fright because my eyes were closed and I didn't know that you were going to do that. Even though I said I'm going to put my hands here in case, you you know. So Mm. um, that was fascinating to me and I thought, well, that's probably going in with this quadrad that you're talking about around this vestibular processing piece where he's not able to sort of get up against gravity um, as well as proprioceptive issues around where's my body in space and coordinating my body together and then I thought oh there's probably there could be some tactile issues as well in thrown in the mix and there's definitely a a visual tracking like a Mm. ocular tracking issue Mm -hmm. um so I don't know does that help give you a bit more information about what how he performed absolutely yeah there are so many pieces there so it feels like if we if we um just looking at the the visual graphic as kind of an organizer, you know, all the way down the left hand side. So um, and so we can we can you know use this chart in up down back and forth <laughs> kinds of thinking. But if you look at the functions that you've described, really very specifically on the left hand side, he's really struggling with all of those functions. So his alignment and stability and holding patterns are really weak. His, um, he has still retained tonic reflexes and the tonic reflexes in anti-gravity control in supine flexion and in prone extension start to be really critical, uh, observations to make when, 
when you start to have the clustering of difficulties that this little guy or this guy, I keep calling him little, but <laughs> I don't know why I'm picturing him that way. Maybe it's just because his nervous system's a little vulnerable and it feels young to me. Yeah. And so it just yeah. keeps pulling me to little. Um, and so, uh, so when you see this, that level of processing issue, it is going to be very likely that we're going to need to look super specifically at the vestibular processing mechanism. So the tonic labyrinthine reflex, the, the actual labyrinth is the vestibular labyrinth. That's what you're triggering. And when you move the head out of alignment, the head neck complex out of alignment, especially when you occlude vision, which is what how you kind of standardly do that test. Yeah. Um, so you don't have the horizon to organize around and you're tipping the um the canals and the superior and inferior semicircular canals yeah. deep inside the deep partners of the vestibular apparatus when they're they're set up to work in opposition to each other. So if there's a sudden uh, influx of information to the um, inferior or superior canal as you tip the head through space, yeah. that relationship, what that does is it right away changes the tonic activation of the flexion and extension oh. throughout your whole trunk. It, it changes it also in your extremities. And so, but, but really importantly, the vestibular function, it organizes not just, um, its response in relation to the input of the head neck complex, but it's really around the neck proprioceptors and it's, and this firing off of the neck proprioceptors. So what you saw with the visual flickering is that as the head is moved and the neck proprioceptors are stimulated, they're the, the, they're trying to recruit that visual partner to say, what is going on Mm, out there? Why are we, why are we moving? Why are we moving? Because, my body is standing still, but now my head is moving. And so often what you're going to see is that the nervous system does this adaptive response of trying to say, help me out, partners, help me out. I need, I'm recruiting information. And so the recruitment of information is going to stimulate the, through the MLF pathway, the medial longitudinal fasciculus, this sort of neck proprioceptor vestibular complex that then is going to communicate up to the eye muscles. And it's going to pull on those eye muscles to say what's going on out there. And when you occlude vision, even if you don't occlude vision, what you, you can start to see is some level of 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 automatic eye muscle movement nystagmus we sometimes call that but it's this kind of response of the eye muscles to trigger and say give me information i need you to localize i need you to find your midline i need to find stability patterns and the vestibular system whenever it is moved in the tonic sense it, it really asks the whole postural system to find stability. And so when it can't find stability, um, it really becomes an autonomic event. Mm. And, you know, it's so interesting because now in our world, we have new theories, polyvagal theory in particular, that have really started to come in to help us have a different level of understanding. But Dr. Ayers, all the way back in the early 1970s, wrote a lot about this. Um, even in this, uh, in the Blue Sensory Integration and Learning Disorders book, she writes about how the tonic labyrinthine, when you see it fire off in, in a way like we you just heard described, um, that you're going to really see it as being an autonomic level of dysregulation, that it's pretty low and deep in the nervous system, that you're seeing disruption from this. And and so I think that that this, you know, this child is really struggling with mm, yeah. a really deep level of vestibular integration problem. Yeah. And how you're seeing that show up is in weak postural mm. adaptation. And then that's leading to weak ocular function yeah. and then weak handwriting. Yeah. And so it, it goes all the way through the system, all the way from basic vestibular 
through the postural adaptation system into this daily life activity. It's pretty, pretty full on beautiful representation (laughs) of Dr. Ayers's work and why the work we all do is so critically important. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's got a, such a pervasive effect on him. Tracy, I'm just wanting to go back to the vestib function. So when we do that test, we are tilting the head backwards slowly. So if the vestibular system is um, processing well, there should be no need to recruit. So if I'm having Corey tilt my head back, um, uh, I typically should not need to open my eyes. I Is that right? Yeah. Once you have integration, yeah. right? So we're, we'll always use the word integration because it's, it's so real. Um, but when you have in the integration of this function, what happens is that as you tip your head back, you make postural adjustments. Yes. So you're still feeling the somatosensory sense of your body in space. Um, you know, you're connected to the ground, you know, you're upright against gravity. And so, and you know, you're not moving mm, yeah. because you have integrity in the vestibular somatosensory relationship. Yes, yeah. And so as you tip your head back, what happens is that you're going to always get a differential firing of the muscle groups that mm. are on the front and back sides of your body. Um, and so even in you and I, if and we were to put... Call. Sorry, that's to accommodate for that change in um, a, a head position, specifically the vestibular system. Yeah, it is. It's to accommodate for it. And it's partly because your center of gravity is now shifted. Yes, so if you're right. standing steady, so everybody, in the, you know, even listening, just yeah. stand steady and kind of orient your eyes straight on the horizon and, and have your nose kind of straight out. And what I want you to do is just take a breath and feel your center of gravity. And wherever that is. Now, if you just tip your own head back, what you're going to notice is that your center of gravity mm-hmm. is going to rise yeah. maybe two to five inches. Yeah. Do you yeah. notice that? Yeah, I do. Okay. So that's just because what you've done now is you've moved out of a balance mm. in the sagittal plane of the flexion extension muscle groupings and you have raised the center of gravity. So now you know, you're going to have a differential firing pattern. Mm. If if we put an EMG on you, yeah. you would have activation all the way through the whole muscle, muscle synergy from the tip of your toes to the top of your mm, head. Yeah. And it's going to compensate for that change in center of gravity. Yeah. Center of gravity is where we align. We align around that and our three, four dimensional midlines are all organized around our center of gravity and our base of support. So when the relationship between center of gravity and base of support moves, there has to be a muscle response. Mm, Some people over-attribute that to the reflexes now taking over. No, the reflex is there to help you. Mm. Okay, so we all have that tonic labyrinthine reflex. But what happens is that when you can't integrate it, Mm. when you can't integrate that my head tip back and I can't, adjust to my now higher center of gravity, the relative muscle activation of Mm. the ventral and dorsal surfaces being activated, Mm. that's going to make me feel disorganized because I'm used to my center of gravity being lower than that. All right. So he's not in this, like what we're talking about, there's a potential here that because of the underlying issues around processing the information from the, the labyrinth of the vestibular system is when you tip him, he then loses all of his center of like where he has his center of gravity and where his base of support sits. And when you tip him and move his head, if that changes, he then doesn't know what to do with that information. Is that just that? We just yeah. didn't automatically make adjustments to accommodate for a change. Is yeah. Right? I was just thinking about the sensation for me. Like, so when you were saying everybody listening, you know, put your nose just straight out and then just take a breath and see where you feel and then tip your head back and see how that changes. I guess because of the way of our, the way our vestibular system organizes, does that when each change of center of gravity for ourselves, when we experience changes of center of gravity, if we have integration around the vestibular system, we then know what to do posturally with each of those changes. Is that without that, then we don't know what to do with it. And we recruit, 
help? Is that kind of... That's precisely it. That's exactly the definition of postural adaptation. Yeah, cool. And postural adaptation is one of the most... important automatic functions that stays integrated all day long as everything is moving and constantly changing. And it's the biggest, one of the most primary products of sensory integrative processing. So postural adaptation in and of itself is an outcome of of quality sensory integration, of the real integrity of sensory integration. And when you see a breakdown in postural adaptation, like we see in this little one, um, in this youngster, yeah, then you're going to really see that that's a reflection of weak sensory integrative functions. So when you go to try to treatment plan for a child like this, um, there are lots of different treatment approaches. And what we want to do is not get stuck on any one of them, but really work toward integration. So we are going to acknowledge that there are difficulties with reflex integration. From an heirs perspective, you know, you work on reflex integration by using, um, enhanced vestibular somatosensory experiences, but in a postural context. And sometimes people miss this. So I love that we get to talk about this today because- <laughs> Break it I down like for us, Tracy. Break it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just one of those really important parts of, of the work and of the, of the legacy of Dr. Ayers' work that sometimes gets lost, I think. So, mm. you know, the idea is that you are really on purpose- choosing movement activities for the child that puts them in positions that requires them to work in opposition to the reflexes that are kind of disorganizing them or or looking the most unintegrated. Um, So for a TLR, uh, Dr. Ayers wrote really specifically that you're going to work in prone extension a lot. And because this, you know, youngster doesn't have organization of prone extension anyway, we would have chosen that anyway. But we're going to really want to use like a scooter board ramp and get fast linear acceleration to build through the vestibulospinal pathway, the quick fire of muscle tone, bring into phasic activation, some anti-gravity control, Mm -hmm. and then let that vestibular activation help the nervous system drive the muscle control, the anti-gravity extensor muscle control. And then once we've got that as kind of a priming, then we're going to want to work in active prone extension to build the strength of that, of that tonic activation against gravity Mm. and that becomes almost like formulaic in our treatment it's dr Ayers wrote it way back in the late 60s early 70s and it remains so consistently true across different treatment approaches that it's really the cornerstone um so so that's cool i think that there's so much clarity Mm. about what it is that you would you would sort of target yeah right so wait, can I just clarify one thing? So I'm just thinking about other kids that I've popped on scooter boards before, um, trying to get some of that fast linear input into the vestibular system to fire up the muscles of extension. Um, and they start with such poor quality, like, yes. like on the scooter board. And you're like, Oh, I'm kind of nervous about you even getting on this thing. <laughs> like, you know, and they're not super aware of their body. And sometimes they run over their fingers or, you know, all of that stuff. Um, but sometimes, um, I'll put that same kid, you know, and, or I guess coming back to the scooter board activity, you know, I might, they might start that way. And then after three or four goes, you start to see it come on. Um, and as long as they're not one of those kids that are, uh, truly afraid of movement, of, of vestibular input, they'll, they're willing to do it usually. Like a gravitational insecurity. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. So they're not truly that. Yeah. Because with yeah. those kiddos, they won't get on the scooter no. board. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. So then you kind of do start to see it come on. But are you saying after I, so say I've got a kid who I 
have just done some fast linear input with down a scooter board ramp. Is there a significance of it of it being downward angled like that, Tracy? Yeah, there absolutely is. So part of it is that again, the the TLR, the tonic labyrinthine, is gonna be communicating about the discrepancy in position between the superior and inferior canals. And when those the relationship in that changes, then you get a different firing signal. Okay. Um, so when you're in a little bit of, uh, you know, head inversion, mm-hmm. um, it's going to do two things for you. First of all, it's going to orient so that the superior canal is tipped forward. And that's going to activate extensor control okay. more than flexor control. And that's what we want in this situation. Yeah. The second thing that it does is it... Um, activates through the baroreceptors a little bit of a dampening of the mm-hmm. of the overwhelm that's happening autonomically. Yeah. And okay. so There's even some though inhibition. Can- we're gonna give him a little bit of inhibition so he doesn't freak out. Yeah. Because this will feel intense for him. Yes. That's exactly right. And so this is the kind of, you know, thing where what you said, Corey, I think in a treatment um, situation with a child, you have to kind of inch toward this. You don't impose mm, yeah. fast linear activation. Yeah. If the kid is too afraid or their experience thus far has been, this is not successful for me and <laughs> I don't enjoy this and please stop it, then we don't just go forward, right? So yeah. we're going to create the opportunity for that to be successful. Um, but this is what we know the nervous system needs. So you, you don't have to do it through a scooter board ramp. Um, you can, you know, hang up platform swings, um, lycra swings, you can invert them slightly so that you're getting the same activation. Mm. You, um, you can even use like an inflatable, like a whale or a pillow and kind of do some (laughs) moving on there. And so you're going to really explore movement, but your goal as the clinician is to follow, how does that organize the child? Where do they find joy and exploration there? How do they pull that system together? And how do we start to see that that anti-gravity control is starting to improve? And what we're really wanting is the partner of the vestibular activation to help us with the postural adaptation. And then we want to work in postural adaptation to work on control against gravity to work on riding vertically we want to start to seam the vertical the the sagittal plane together through lateral and then rotary movements so we're going to start to pull in some of our knowledge of normal developmental movement patterns and how those help us so in the treatment sequence you're you're really weaving together a cross postural adaptation from vestibular function up into postural control. Okay. And you're just following that um, carefully. This is also um, one of the interventions that we've really come to understand that if we can add some sound activation, it's probably going to be a super powerhouse for us mm. because the partner of sound with the vestibular apparatus starts to give a sense of synchrony and and um, oscillation and that basic vibratory quality of somatosensory uh, grabbing that that tone that rhythm that beat really fuels the the deep um, proprioceptors the deep somatosensory receptors and also vestibular function and together all of that starts to create a different kind of context that the postural adaptation system starts to get enough richness that Mm. it's it 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 grabs onto that information in an integrative way um and so I know when I'm treating kiddos like this, I really like to weave those pieces together because I find that it just really accelerates progress differently than if I don't put all those pieces together. Because it adds another um, group of sensations to add intensity to it or, or is it the base with which he can start to organize around? You know, it's really both. It's really both. Because at the bottom of our chart here, like I said, it's kind of the, you know, the classic triad, but really the auditory system is such a partner to the, 
to the whole system. Um, our, our postural system gives us both that sustained anti-gravity control so that we can be upright and engaged and start to use our eyes to scan and track and Mm. take in the world close and far to take in sound close and far to use our extremities close and far and that that adaptive function of the postural system always includes organizing your body in space Mm, and the sound system helps you tremendously with that so i think you know at some point we'll have an episode maybe where we talk more about about auditory as a particular focus um but really what we want to focus on here is in postural adaptation, we want to, we want to analyze the vestibular somatosensory visual and auditory functions and pull the, and, and then really on purpose start to use them to build the holding stability patterns for the purpose of really fluid movement off of the midline where the midline is always the referent point. And so the, the midline is the referent point for the core postural system, for your gross motor actions, for your big body actions. It's true for your eyes too, right? Mm. And you talked early on, Corey, about how this, you know, when, when you evaluated this young boy that he really was struggling with, um, being able to deal with any ocular pursuit across the midline. Yeah. So as soon as he started to get to the midline, he would, his eyes would jump. So that's a real particular ocular finding that is indicative of a vestibular based processing issue that underlies the ocular problem. Yeah. Um, and so we, we kind of know that from the data, that you already collected on him. But what we want to do is really look at how the midline organization is going to support that. And as the vestibular function starts to support postural adaptation and you start to have core postural development that's really strengthened, and you're going to see that with that prone extension becoming really much more at ease and one of the markers, the real hallmarks there is that you get a, a kind of a an elegant look to that mm, prone extension, yeah. right? And so the integration of flexion extension produces this kind of controlled anti-gravity control. And really importantly, what you get is... Um, no break in the neck complex Mm. as the extension occurs. And that starts to tell you that the vestibular somatosensory relationship that we talked about earlier Mm, is starting to be organized. And Mm. once that starts to happen, you'll start to see that that ocular pursuit starts to smooth out. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So I just wanted to recap something because I feel like I got something here that sometimes it's easy to forget. But so you were talking about we fire up, we give input to vestibular function so we we you know ideally fast linear input with that slight in inversion so going down the ramp with their head first that I guess the function of that is to help provide input to the vestibular system right but then you were talking about then what we actually want to target is the postural challenges so we provide the input. We hopefully get the system does an firing. internal activation. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So the system does some sort of internal signaling that for, for whatever reason hasn't been super efficient prior to now. And so we're increasing and enhancing that so that we can get better postural function, so better uprightness. And then you were talking about, so once I have that input provided, then I'm going to go into the postural system because that's where we're seeing such huge issues to then work in moving my body in space and finding alignment and enjoying the experience of moving my body because I now have activation that I can work off of. Is that mm. where we're That's going exactly, from? Yeah. That's right. Okay. And then you're going to have all kinds of really fun opportunities to explore, um, you know, moving through space with all different qualities, um, finding balance and equilibrium in all different levels of challenge, yeah. dynamic and static challenges. And 
And that system is going to really synchronize and organize. So at the end of the day, postural adaptation is super deeply related to um, functions like balance and bilateral coordination. Yeah. And, and we midline. didn't get into, and midline, yeah. that's right. So those, those skills that, that are at the higher end of this, but um, yeah, so it, it's all the postural adaptation system as you work from the sensory base through the sensory motor functions that support it. Um, that's what gives the background automatic ability capacity to to be a handwriter yeah. that he doesn't have wow what a great I way to end that. <laughs> and i love that it's automa- yeah. automatic yeah. like he shouldn't have to think about it and he yeah. shouldn't have to plan for it that, so that when he tilts his head back or whatever that his body integrates that new input and um Adapts posturally. Adapts, yeah. Whatever, to whatever demands you're doing. So follow this visual thing, you know, hop in this posture and hold, move in and out of this. Anyway, so it's all automatic automatic for him. Yeah. And when it's not automatic, you get breakdowns. Yes. In function. Yeah, when it's not automatic, you have to lean on your arm and then you have to stop after two minutes. Yes. And and it doesn't doesn't get better with practice. No. You only get better by addressing the underpinning. Yeah. And that's the beauty of the work that we do. So what a great case, Uh, Corey. I love it. Thanks, Tracy. That was awesome. Uh, That was great. Perfect. We will put the um, link up in the show notes for that postural graphic that Tracy was who who um put that um picture so that together graphic is um you know been adapted over the years but yeah. it really came from Ann Grady who was okay. one of my bosses and um she did a lot of teaching in the world of of uh neurodevelopmental treatment in NDT but she was also um you know taught a lot of courses just on development and how mm, do we right. support kids in their development and their occupational performance. So that that chart really was adapted from Ann Grady um, from years ago at Children's Hospital in Denver. And um, it's a joy to be able to share it in this uh, form. It was really useful because yeah. to unpack yeah. it using that image. So yeah. thanks for bringing that. Tracy, that's yeah. accessible for everybody else to have a look at. Have a look at while they listen on. Thanks for listening, everyone. Each episode, we're going to give you our um, key points from our discussion. So for this episode, I'm going to share with you. um, And I think my first point is that the postural system is so vital for so many skills that we do in our lives. um, And it has such a significant effect on handwriting function. Um, The second thing that I really took away from today is that the vestibular system has such a profound effect on where I feel my center of gravity is. And when my head position changes, my center of gravity feels so different. I think that was such a aha moment for me. Um, and then the last thing that I took away from today is the power of fast linear movement for setting up good quality sustained extension. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Fantastic. All right. See you next Take time. Care. Bye. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Seed Pediatric Services and Developmental FX, produced by Little Image Co. For more information, please go to our show notes on our website, spiritedconversationspodcast.com, or catch us at our Seed and Developmental FX Facebook or Insta pages. So grateful to have you with us today for this episode. Take care and we'll see you next time.